Amen. I don't do this often, but I think I need to use that old Hebrew expression, wow. <laughs> A beautiful reminder of what must have gone through Mary's mind during all of what she experienced and what we're able to experience because of it. And with that, I do want to say that we, we had a beautiful Christmas Eve service last night and um, had, had a lot of folks here and, and we, we had a good time. And if you were here last night, we, we appreciate you coming back out, braving the cold once again to, to be with us again this, again this morning. And even if you weren't, um, thank you for joining us and, and taking part of your day, part of your holiday to be with us and to worship together as the family of God. And those of you who are watching us on Facebook or YouTube, thank you for spending part of your day with us as well. And those in the parking lot, we thank you for being out there. Um, really brave being out there today. And, and we thank, thank you for being out there and worshiping with us. And even those who, who couldn't join us today, we just pray God's blessings upon everyone. But it's, you know, Christmas Eve we're able to do every year. We get together Christmas Eve, doesn't matter what night it falls on, we're going to get together, we're going to worship together. This is a special occasion, it only comes around about every six years, and, and getting the opportunity to come together like this and, and worship our Lord together is just a blessing. So we want to thank you all for being here. And at this time, we're going to let our children, our children who are still in their jammies, but that's okay. We're going we're gonna to let our children be dismissed to go to a time of children's church. They're going to go with Miss Mandy. <laughs> and she's going to have fun down there with, with them today. And we're going to have fun up here because we're going to open up God's word. And we're going to read a passage that we normally read at this time of year. But we're going to kind of look and see what God's saying to us through this this morning. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me? Luke chapter 2. It'll also be up on the screen. And, and the, the verses that are on the screen are in the same translation that I'll be reading. So if you like to follow along that way, um, that'll be on the screen. But Luke chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Luke 2, 1 through 7. Now it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken in all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order, to be in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Father God, we... Ask you today to bless the reading of your word. 
God, we ask you to bless our time together. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here. Father, we thank you for loving us enough to come to be with us. To come and provide for us what we could not provide for ourselves. And Father, today, let us celebrate that great love. Let us celebrate the hope that we have in you. Let us celebrate the peace and joy that you provide for us. And let us celebrate you. We give you all honor, all glory, all praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a story that we read every year. It's one that is familiar to us, but we don't often really dig into it and think about what exactly is taking place here and what exactly is going on. We just know that that's how it happened. Because that's how we read it. But it happened exactly as God had planned it to happen. Now, it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken in all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. Augustus' decree was necessary for God's plan to come to fruition. Caesar Augustus, and I'm going to give you a little background, a little history lesson as we, as we start, but, but hold on and hang with me because it's going to help make sense. Of, of what's going on in, in the story. Caesar Augustus uh, decreed that a census should be taken. And the Romans would do this every 14 years. For military and for taxation purposes. Now if you read this story out of the King James Bible. You will realize that it says. See, a decree came from Caesar Augustus. That all the earth should be taxed. The same word that is used in the Greek for census in the version, in the translation that I just read, is the same word, the word apographa, which in the Greek means enrollment, assessment, or taxing. It's the same word, and because the census was used for taxation purposes. It was used, we know where everybody's at, so then we, we can send them their tax bills. And it's also, we know where everybody's at. We, we can get them for the military to, ser to, serve, um, the, to serve the empire. So it's the same word. And so if you read it and it says taxed in one, census in one, it was all for the same reason, for, for the same purpose of taxation. And then in verse 2, we read about Quirinius. We read it every year, but do we often stop and, and think about, well, who was this Quirinius and why is it important that he was governor of Syria? Quirinius had been a tutor to Augustus' grandson. And through that relationship, he was appointed governor of Syria and he was the one who ordered the census. Now, the Jews did not normally take a census. In their custom, it was something that they did not do. But Herod... Wanting to gain favor with the Roman rulers and wanting to stay in good standing with Caesar allowed this census to take place. 
And while these leaders were probably acting in their own interest and in the interest of their government, we know that God allows such actions and can use them to see his plans and purposes fulfilled. This did not happen by accident. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. This happened when it happened, where it happened, because God had ordained that it happened at that time and in that way. God is never caught off guard. Sometimes we think, our circumstances, you know, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this right now? Why, why is this working out this way? But if it didn't work out that way, if it didn't happen when it did, we might miss out on some of the blessings that God is trying to lead us to or some of the lessons that God is trying to teach us through the circumstances that we're going through. And we wouldn't gain the knowledge and the wisdom and the strength that we gain by going through that circumstance. God didn't forget about you when you're going through difficult times or when you have a tough decision to make or when something happens unexpectedly. He's still there. He's still in control. He's still going to lead you through it. We know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And we need to understand that these events unfolded exactly the way that they did. And it happened as it did so that prophecy might be fulfilled. God had already inspired the prophets of old to write about what was going to happen hundreds of years later. You know, a few weeks ago, might have been last week, I don't know. The day, if, if you like me, the days are just jamming together. If we weren't here, I might not even know it was Christmas. But, and if we did not open presents this morning, but... But, you know, one of the last couple of weeks, my daughter comes home and is like, Dad, did you know a man wrote about Jesus hundreds of years before it happened? I was like, he did? Well, tell me about that. Well, his name was Isaiah. I was like, really? I said, well, I just preached on Isaiah this morning about that same very thing. But, you know, it's awesome that the kids are able to understand that and that, and that they're able to comprehend that God told these people prophets what was going to happen long before it ever did and one of the prophecies was that he would be born in Bethlehem and Joseph went up from Galilee to from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem Micah 5 2 says but as for you Bethlehem Ephrathah too little to be among the clans of Judah from you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. It had been prophesied he would be born in Bethlehem. And the census was what led Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Because that was where their family was from. That was where they were to go to register for the census. And the timing all worked out that they would be there when it was time for the baby to be born. It was also prophesied that he would be from the line of David. Because he was of the house and family of David. 
Isaiah 9, 7 says, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace or on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. David had been promised that he would never lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel. And of course, many believe this to mean the earthly throne. But God did not intend it to just be the earthly throne. He intended the heavenly eternal throne that Jesus will, does and will occupy when he sets up his eternal kingdom. But he is from the line of David. If you read the genealogies, and I know it's easy sometimes to get confused because you read Matthew and, and you see all these names. And then you read Luke. And you see some of the same names, and then you see some different names. It's because Matthew is pointing out the line of kingly succession, which goes through David, through his son Solomon, which Joseph was a part of that line. Because that line went through the father. Luke is pointing out, as Jesus, as son of man, the line that went through David's son Nathan, from which Mary and her family came. So both genealogies are accurate even though some of the names are different because one goes through Joseph's line, one goes through Mary's line. But they both come from David. And he would be from the line of David. The prophets also said he would be born of a virgin. In order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him, who was with child and we have read the story in Luke chapter 1 how the angel came to Mary and said, you are going to, to bear a son. And she said, well, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. She and Joseph had not been married yet. And he said, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you so that the son that you're carrying will be called the son of God. The son of the most high. And she said, let it be done to me as you have said. Even not understanding how this could be. Her obedience. And her submission to the will of God. Isaiah 7.14 says. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. Which we know translated means God with us. The angel also confirmed this to Joseph. Because when Joseph found out that Mary was expecting a child. He was worried about what, he, about what might happen to her because the, the law said she would be put to death if they found this out. So he was going to like hide her away quietly. But the angel came to him and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Because the child she's carrying is from the Holy Spirit. And it is so the words of the prophet may be fulfilled Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Everything happened exactly as God intended it to happen. And we need to understand that when we go through things, rather than just lament, why, why me? We just look to the Lord. Lord, what, what are you teaching me through this? What is, what is, how is your plans coming to fruition through this? How are you making me stronger through this? Lord, help me to trust you. Even when I don't understand what's going on around me. 
Because God is in control. And his plans are always going to take place. But we also see that it happened humbly and quietly. Jesus was born with a humble beginning. You know, God could have just ripped open the sky and came down and said, I'm here, get right or get out. And I don't know about you, but if, if that were to happen, I'd be like, yeah, whatever you say. I'm with you. But where would the faith be? It wouldn't take any faith to believe that if we saw that. But this way. And the prophets had already told of it. But they still, a lot of people didn't understand. A lot of people were expecting this earthly military king to come riding in on a white horse with a sword and just conquer all the enemies. They weren't expecting a baby. Messiah's not going to come that way. And many believed that the stable in which Jesus was born was actually a cave. You know, we, we, we spruce it up in our imaginations. We have the hay down there. We have a little fire. We, you know, Joseph's probably roasting some weenies on, on it. And, and, and they're... You know, the animals are all snugged up and helping provide some warmth. And, and, and Mary's got a few decorations up around, around the stable. and Probably wasn't like that. It's probably cold. It's probably dark. Imagine it didn't smell too good. Given all the animals that, that, are, that are around he was born there. He was laid in a manger. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, a feeding trough for cattle. And the first visitors to see him were not the elite of the government, the fine military and royal officials. It was some humble, lowly shepherds. Regular guys. Out minding their own business out in the field. And the angel came to them. And said, I bring you good news of great joy. Today in the city of David is born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And again, if that happens, I'm going to probably be like the shepherds. Well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this. What the angel told us about. And these shepherds came. To see him and to worship him in his birth. And throughout his earthly life, he lived humbly and set an example for us to follow as to how we should live. Because even after he was born, jo Joseph was a carpenter. So that's what Jesus did for 30 years. Worked in a carpenter shop. Made chairs, made tables. I'd love to get a hold of a chair that Jesus had made. And there may be one still around <laughs> somewhere over there. But just a humble life. A simple life. Nothing flashy. Nothing to draw us. To him. 
Just going about his business. And Paul writes in Philippians 2, 5 to 7, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. A baby laying in a cattle trough is about as humble as you can get. This is no threat to the government. This is no threat to our enemies. Just a little sweet, tiny baby. Simple carpenter. And when he did begin his earthly ministry, he began it with fishermen. Regular guys just fished for a living. And he just walked up and said, come follow me. And he poured himself into 12 regular guys. And he set the example in how he lived and in the things that he said and even when his enemies wanted to kill him because they accused him of blasphemy, even though he was telling the truth about who he, who he is. Paul goes on to say in verse 8 of that same passage that he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He didn't come here the first time in the first advent to be the king. He came here to be the lamb. He came here to be the sacrifice for my sin and for your sin. He came here to be our savior. He came here to do for us what we could not do for ourselves because our sin separates us from holy God. And Jesus Christ was the perfect spotless lamb without blemish that was able to be the sacrifice. His blood is the atoning for our sin. And without it, we cannot come to the Father. He not only came the way the prophet said he would come, but he fulfilled the purpose for which he came, which was to give his life. And to provide eternal life for all who will believe in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's why he came. That's why it all happened the way that it did. But I've left out one, one line that I'm going to read now. Because there was no room for him in the end. There was no room for him. The innkeeper turned them away, obviously not knowing who was about to be born. Because if Mary and Joseph had come to that inn, knocked on the door, and the innkeeper said, I'm sorry, I don't have any room. But sir, you don't understand. My wife's about to have, uh, have a baby. Well, I sympathize with you, and that's tough. And, and um, there's a stable out back, but I don't have any room. 
Can't do anything to help you. Well, sir, you, don't, you really just don't understand. My wife's not just about to have a baby. My wife is about to have God. The creator of the universe is going to be born tonight. And my wife is carrying him. I bet you Mr. Innkeeper would have started kicking some folks out. And made the presidential suite available. If he understood who he was in the presence of. But he didn't. He didn't. John 1, 5, 10, and 11 says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. So can we really fault the innkeeper? Was he the only one who didn't get it? Did everyone who came after him that was in the presence of Jesus say, Oh yeah, he's the one. This is who we've been looking for. No, because every time he revealed more of who he was, they wanted to kill him. Before Abraham was, I am. And they accuse him of blasphemy because he equates himself with God. Well, he was the only one who could. But they didn't get it. They didn't understand who this was. Even when they, they were nailing him to the cross. Gee, what did Jesus say? Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. They didn't know. If you knew who it was, would you be nailing him to the cross? Would you be whipping him? Would you be putting the crown of thorns on his head? No, you'd be putting him on the throne and crowning him with gold and putting a scepter in his hand and listening to every word he had to say. There was no room. You know, yesterday, even as cold as it was, Benny and I were out in the garage trying to at least make a path that we'd be able to walk through and straighten it up a little bit. And part of that happens by being able to get rid of things that you don't need in order to make room for the things that are more important. And if y'all want some old junk, just go get it out of the back of my truck this week. It'll be sitting there. You are welcome to it. Save me a trip to the dump. But it's important that we make room. And we make room for the things in our lives that are important to us. Because we always got time to do the things we want to do. We've always got time to do the things that matter to us. We make room. We make space. We make time for the things and the people that are important. But sometimes we miss out on something because what, if it, what is in front of us is not on our radar. And we don't understand who or what we're passing up. 
Sometimes we're so engrossed in this or in that that we miss something that's right in front of us that was better. And sometimes our relationship with God is what suffers in that situation and in those moments. You know, 33 years after his birth, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, some thought he may be the promised Messiah and were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And a few days later, when he turned out not to be the military king they were expecting, those shouts would soon turn to crucify. Crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Crucify this man. How quickly our, thing, our attitudes change. How quickly. It turns out because this wasn't who I was looking for. This wasn't what I expected. So I move on to the next thing. And just like when we're cleaning that garage. Or if you're cleaning your house. Or if you're, you're straightening up anything. Or if, if something in your life. If a new activity or a new opportunity comes along in your life. You got to make room for that. And in order to make room for that we have to move things out. That don't need to be there anymore. In order to make room for that which is more important. And what it is that we need. What is it. That we need to move out of the throne rooms of our hearts. In order to make room for the only one who came to be our savior. That's a tough question. But I can't think of a better day that we need to ponder that question. What is it that I need to move out to make room for Jesus to have first place in my life? Am I just putting him on a shelf and taking him down when I need him? Or am I giving him his rightful place on the throne room of my heart every single day? And that don't mean I'm going to do it perfectly. I'm still going to mess up. I'm human. But am I intentionally making Jesus the Lord of my life? Or am I just making him part? Am I still sitting on the throne? Where I don't need to be. So what is it that I've got to move around? What is it that I've got to either get rid of. Or move to the back. So Jesus can have the place. Where he needs to be. See our savior was born as a sweet little baby in a manger. But he's returning as a mighty king to conquer his enemies and take those who put their faith to be with him for eternity. So I ask it again. When that happens, will we have room for him then? And that's a question that I can't answer for you and you can't answer for me. The answer to that question is between each one of us and God. In just a moment, we're going to sing one more song. 
Then we're going to leave this place and go back to our, I was going to say our merrymaking or whatever, whatever it is that we're going to do today. Our celebrations, our family time, our traveling, whatever it is. But I want us to take something with us as we go from this place. I want us to make sure that we walk out the door different than how we walked in. And not just checking the box. I went to church on Christmas. Next year maybe look back and say. Wow last Christmas the Lord really showed me some things. The Lord really did some work on my heart. We're going to sing. Oh come all ye faithful. Oh, come, let us adore him. But as we do, I want to ask you, if somebody's here and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, ask for forgiveness of your sins, had, it, had the Holy Spirit come into your heart and make you a new person. I can't think of a better day. Maybe you're here today and you are a Christian. You have given your life to him, but you're still kind of cleaning out things. You still got to move some things around. You're still not giving him the room and, and the, the place that belongs to him. And, and there maybe there's things in your heart that you know you need to move out and you just need the courage and the strength to do that. Or maybe you just need to ask God, God, show me what is it I need to do to make room for you. Or maybe you're here and God's laid someone on your heart that you need to pray for. You need prayer for, for something else in your life. Or you need encouragement or you just want to praise him. Whatever it is, there's freedom in this place today. And God wants you to walk in that freedom, not just today, but every day. So if God's laid something on your heart as we sing our final song, I'm going to be up here. Bill will be here if... If, if we have a long line, he'll, he'll be here to pray with people and, and we'll be more than happy to pray with you and encourage you. And if, if whatever God's laid on your heart, you obey as we sing.